0: So let's read and hear what God sent us in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. And we're going to keep going on down until chapter 6, verse 12. So it says this, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, That often falls in it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burnt. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope to the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those through faith and patience, inherit the promises. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to pray for us before we get stuck into this, because I just feel like we need to pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you that's living. Thank you that's active. Uh, Thank you that you are speaking to us, your church, um, even in these most difficult of times. Uh, Lord, we really need to hear what you have to say to us. We want to be good children who listen to our our dad. And so, um, Lord, we just ask that you speak to us and you give us hearts that can respond and hear you clearly this morning. We praise things for Jesus' glory. Amen. Uh, we have we've been working our way through Hebrews and. and uh, this, this whole time, the author's been looking at this idea that Jesus is better, so looking at different aspects of, of the, the Old Testament uh, life and, uh, and life under the Jewish way, and then showing how Jesus is the continuation of that story and how he actually brings fulfillment to that story. But here he kind of takes a wee detour for a second. He started, and we saw this last week, he started to talk about uh, how Jesus is our high priest, right? And even for us, like I say even for us, like we're really smart, but it's really, it's really hard to come to grips with this concept of, of Jesus as priest. Uh, and, and it's the same for these Hebrews. And so he takes a, a detour because he thinks that they're not going to understand what he's saying. he wants to give them a warning about being immature. He said, you, you're not really understanding what I'm saying uh, because you haven't learned how to understand Um, and they had a problem. The problem was that they were slow to learn. Um, You might not be surprised to hear, maybe you are surprised to hear, that uh, when I was in school, I had a bit of trouble applying myself. I didn't really uh, want to work, didn't really want to learn. Uh, Nothing wrong with my ability. My grades were always fine, but I think that was the problem. They were always just fine. And all my school reports said, uh, you know, Andrew does well, but could do better. If he stopped talking and started working, he could do better. Always messing around. That was me. Um, my P4 teacher, Mrs. Sturt, uh, she actually, I remember one day, uh, I'm not going to say his name, one of the guys in my, I mean, not, not like he's going to listen to this, but it was a guy who sat next to me in school, and I pushed him off his chair. <laughs> I don't know why. And then my teacher, Mrs. Sturt, she was like, that's it, that's the final straw. So she brought her desk up, my desk, and moved it right in front of her desk, touching her desk, and that's where I had to sit for the rest of the year, just like literally my desk, touching her desk, because I just didn't want to learn, I didn't want to apply myself. Um, and, and this church in that in the book of Hebrews is written to, or the sermon, as I think it is, um, it has this similar problem. They, don't, they seem like they're not willing to apply themselves to learning. It seems like uh, they, they, they have a problem of hearing, of learning, of applying themselves to advancing in the faith. They're spiritually immature because they're slow to learn. They're happy to just stick with the basics, And and the author uses this analogy of they're they're kind of like a house that's being built and the foundations have been laid and then they've just stopped there. It's Not a complete house. And this is a problem for them. Because in the context here, this group of Christians, there's all kinds of opposition that they're facing um, and persecution coming their way. And they're not able to stand against it because they're like a plant that has shallow roots. He uses a couple of different analogies in here. And so whenever the storms come and the, and the, and the, the wind comes and the opposition comes, they, they're tempted to fall away. And some of them actually have fallen away. And the problem underneath all of this is their immaturity. They haven't grown up in the faith. Now, none of us like being corrected. I certainly don't. I'm sure, you know, you always, if someone always gets my back up a wee bit and that's just my own sinful nature. And I think maybe a lot of us are the same. But here... The, 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 the author of Hebrews, the pastor, the preacher, he loves them, he calls them his beloved, and he sees the problem, and he wants to call them out on it. Just the same way as we should call each other out on our problems and our issues. And I think this is a real warning that we need to hear uh, for, for our church in, in 2020. And there's three things that we're going to see as we work our way through this passage. We're going to see a rebuke. So he says, stop being immature. We're going to see a warning. So he says, don't fall away from Jesus. And we're going to see an encouragement which is to stay eager and, and be assured. And there's a real sense throughout this whole passage, this, this kind of principle that he applies, which is if we're not moving forward, we're moving back. But there's really no such thing as standing still in your faith. You're not just treading water. That if you're actually not moving forward, if you're not growing, you're actually regressing, you're actually moving back. So let's look at each one of these in turn. Firstly, this rebuke that he gives them. He says, stop being immature. In verse, in verse 11, he says, about this we have much to say. So he said, I want to teach you these deeper things. I want you to understand more of who Jesus is, but I just can't do it. I want, I want to teach you about the priesthood of Jesus, another layer of what Jesus is to us and who he is and his character, but I can't do it because you're just not going to understand me. They're immature. And there's four signs of this immaturity that he that he points out to them. Firstly, he says, you're slow to learn. That's what he means when he says, you have become, in verse 11, you've become dull of hearing. That word dull there literally means sluggish. It's like they're, 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 they're um, wading through custard, that feeling. I, I don't know where, why that's a phrase. Has anyone w- ever waded through custard? But anyway, um, it's like something's slowing them down. They've become dull of hearing, sluggish, slow to learn, like me in school have the ability to learn but just not really bothered. They've not applied themselves to to learn more about Jesus and to get to know him better. And and I want to point out from the very beginning that this isn't about intellect, okay? This isn't about um, how much you can learn or how deep your knowledge can be. Um, It's not about intellect. It's about attitude. Are you willing to learn? Um, there's this, C.S. Lewis gave this lovely illustration in one of his books, and, and I'm going to go and look up what it is after this, so I'm not misquoting him, but I think it's in a book called Mere Christianity. But he used this analogy of, um, of an orchestra playing, right? An orchestra's playing this symphony. And there's three types of people in the audience. One is a farmer, a simple farmer. Sorry for any farmers. A simple farmer who's never heard music before, okay? And um, he's there, and he doesn't know the intricacies of the piece, but he hears this piece of music being played in front of him and he's just absolutely moved to tears by it. He can't believe this thing he's experiencing. And then the second person he highlights is a a music student, right? And the music student, they can understand a bit of theory. They can understand, oh, right, the violin's doing this and the, you know, whatever, cello's doing this. I don't really know orchestra instruments, trombone or whatever. They're all doing their different things. They're like, oh, that's really cool the way he's done this and then they've done this. And this person is so uh, overwhelmed by what they're hearing, this student, that she's moved to tears by it. And then the third person is the, the composer. This guy, he has labored over this piece of music. He, he, he's wrote this thing. It's his creation. That he's actually uh, he, he knows the bits that have ended up in the bin that aren't in there. He knows the bits that, that haven't made the cut. He knows why that instrument, has, he's, he's made it stop playing there and why that one's come in there. He knows this thing inside out and he, he's seen his creation come to life and he's moved to tears by it. And the question is, which one of these are experiencing this piece of music in all its fullness? And the answer is all three. You see, it's not about our intellect. Maturity is not about your ability to maintain or retain knowledge. There are so many Christians who know their Bible from cover to cover, but are completely immature. In fact, that's probably the side that I err on. So please don't let what you think about your own ability to learn, most of us probably underestimate our ability, don't we? Think, well, I'm not that clever. Well, don't let that be an excuse for your lack of maturity. Because it's completely possible to be non-educated and not intellectually clever but still be spiritually mature. And we'll come back to that later. The second sign of immaturity in these uh, Hebrew Christians is that they aren't teaching others. He says, what does he say in verse 12? He says, listen, by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need to be taught the basics yourselves. In other words, they're not like sharing what they've been learning. They're not sharing what they've been experiencing. This doesn't mean all Christians are gonna be um, pastors and Bible college lecturers, but it does mean that there's this... um, natural thing that happens when you're growing in your faith and you're learning that it overflows into your life and you share that with other people and you encourage other people and if that isn't the case if that's not your life then you need to uh, question why that why that isn't the case the third mark of their maturity is that they're they're still they're like babies who need milk they're still feeding on the basics um imagine if i invited you for dinner (laughs) a socially distant outdoor dinner i don't know but and and I bring out the food, and it's a lovely food that I've made, and you sit down, you start eating, and then instead of getting my food, I pull out a baby's bottle, and I start drinking from this baby bottle, and that's my meal. Now, it's kind of weird. It'd be funny. It'd be hilarious for about two minutes, and then it would get really, really awkward. It'd actually be disturbing, wouldn't it, if I was sitting there in front of you drinking from a, a baby's bottle. There's something wrong if adults are eating baby food. It's a sign that not all is well. This is a sign of arrested development. If a person never moved on from eating baby food, it would be a real sign of a lack of development, a problem there. And so it is with our spiritual lives as well. If you're just, if you're just content to feed on the basics, if you're just content to, to never pursue knowing God more, it's maybe a sign that you're not growing in your faith, a little sign of immaturity. And the fourth mark of their immaturity is that they can't distinguish between good and evil. Now listen to what he says again in verse 13 and 14. He says, for, uh, um, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. In other words, what he's saying is that uh, they're, they're unskilled in the word of righteousness and then they're on, they, they haven't trained themselves to practice distinguishing between good and evil. You see, immature Christians find it hard to, to read the Bible and then to use that to tell good, the difference between good and evil in their lives and put that into practice. They haven't developed those skills. And the author is saying, listen, you guys, that's a real problem. And he calls them to progress and to move on in maturity because something that is alive should be growing. We need to progress in our faith, in our maturity, in our understanding, and our knowledge of the goodness of Jesus. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 6 Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine behind. Don't stop, don't, don't keep on learning the ABCs. You know, why would you do that? Once you've learned your ABCs, then go on to learning whatever kids learn after that. I don't know. I don't know. What did they learn after that? DEFs? I don't know. Don't, don't just be content with the basics. Um, and he says, go on to maturity. Don't lay again a foundation of repentance. He's saying there's no point trying to put down foundation after foundation after foundation. You put the foundation in, and then what do you do? You build on it. And he knows that they have a good foundation because he says this. In verses um, 1 and 2, he talks about three different things that, that show that they have this good foundation. Firstly, he says, uh, don't lay a foundation again of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, right? So they've got this good foundation. They've realized that, that, that salvation and, and being in Jesus is not about relying on the, 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 the works of, of the Old Testament system of sacrifices. It's about repenting of our works and actually having faith in God. And then he says, okay, next one, you've actually got a really good foundation um, when it comes to um, instructions about washings and the laying on of hands. Now, that doesn't make much sense to us, but what was going on there is he's saying, you've realized that under the old system, you had to ritually purify yourself. We looked at this last week that Aaron, the priest, had to wash himself and then uh, put on the robes and then present the sacrifices He's saying to these these Hebrews, listen, you know that it's not about that, but it's actually about baptism and the laying on of hands. Like we practice here, when someone gets baptized, we pray for them, we lay on hands. When someone believes in Jesus, they they receive the Holy Spirit and they're baptized. That's what he's talking about. That's another really good and important foundation. Faith in God, not works. Baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit. And what's the other thing? He says you've already got this foundation of um, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. You see, the Jews would have had this uh, particular understanding about the resurrection of the dead. And he said, you've got this foundation. that It's not just about the resurrection of the dead. It's about the resurrection of all those who believe in Jesus and Jesus coming to judge the world. You understand this stuff. He says, you've got the ABCs. You understand the basics. But the problem is you keep trying to lay those foundations again. You don't want to learn anything new. It would be an absolute waste of of time and resources, if you just put, kept pouring concrete into the foundations? Nothing would ever get built. Why would you do that? And you certainly wouldn't dig up the foundations over and over again to, to relay them. And don't get me wrong, the foundations are so important, there can be no building without the foundations, right? And that's why we believe in the foundations and why we always, uh, we always talk about the foundations and preach the foundations. We, we need to know those foundations, and we want to reinforce them. But we also want to, to build on those foundations. We want to advance. We don't want to stay stuck where we are. Because remember what we said at the start: there's no such thing as staying where you are. If you're not moving forward, you're moving back. And maybe at this point is a good time to ask yourself: Is this you? Are you are you just stuck on the basics? Do you not really want to pursue knowing God more? And it's not about just getting more knowledge for the sake of having knowledge. It's about getting to know Jesus more. I don't need to know my Bible to know Jesus. Well, yes, you do. Because the Bible is how God has revealed himself to us. But it's not just about having this knowledge of for the sake of having knowledge. It's not about knowing stuff. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about knowing and experiencing more of Jesus' grace. It's about knowing more of the depths of his mercy and goodness and being able to recognize that in your life. It's about knowing how to discern from good and evil and putting that into practice. And this is so important because if we're not moving forward, we're moving back. And so the challenge is, are you growing in maturity? And here's four questions we can ask ourselves. Firstly, are you slow to learn or are you eager to learn? Right. No matter where you're at, no matter where you think you're at, are you, are you eager to learn or are you just sluggish? Do you desire to know Jesus more? Are you constantly discovering more about his goodness and then letting that spill over and sharing that with people? Encouraging them. Second question. Are you teaching and encouraging others to follow Jesus? You don't have to be a pastor or a deacon or a missional community leader or a lecturer. This, this message isn't given to the church leaders in Hebrews. It's given to all the believers. And he's saying you all ought to be teachers. Now, that's not to say that we all have the position of teacher in the church, but what he's saying is that, that we all have a responsibility for leading and discipling each other, right? Or encouraging each other, for speaking the truth. Into each other's lives. And I'll give you a really good example of this. And it's not a, because it's not about intellectual knowledge and all that kind of stuff. Uh, during lockdown, way back in April, someone uh, shared with me someone in, in another missional community who had just simply recorded himself singing hymns and then sent that around in his missional community. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. That's someone who's allowing themselves to be encouraged and discover the goodness of Jesus and then sharing that with other people. That's a sign of someone who's growing in their faith and growing in maturity. The third question that you can ask yourself is, are you still just feeding on the basics? Have you not even got to grips with the basics yet? Some uh, Some of us are quite content and never get past the, well, believe in Jesus to be saved. But the gospel is more than that. The gospel is about the, the, the renewal of the entire world and what God is doing from the start of history to the end of history and beyond. And there's so much to discover. And the thing is, we can't ever reach the end of what is to discover. We're going to spend all of eternity exploring the riches of God's love and his grace and his mercy and his justice, and we'll never get to the end. And the fourth question you can ask yourself is, are you training yourself to distinguish between good and evil? Because here's the thing. Christian maturity is is figuring out how to tell good from evil based, about, based on what God says in his word and then putting that into practice. Are you reading the Bible and are you learning what God is saying about what's right and what's wrong and then putting that into practice? I'll give you some examples of this uh, based on I've three conversations I've had recently in the last few weeks. Firstly, how do you think about and how do you engage with people from the LGBTQ plus community? How do, you, how do you interact with those people? Are you willing to use a trans person's uh, chosen pronoun of, of him or her or they? Or whatever it may be. That's an issue that requires us to, to, to read the Bible. And then uh, learn what is the wisest and most godly thing to do. Another big one that's come up recently is. Uh, I've had this conversation a lot over the past few weeks. How do you vote? how do you vote? Do I vote for this person who's like pro-life but an absolute train wreck in other areas? Or do I vote for this person who's like morally upstanding in this way but is is, you know pro-abortion? Like how do we navigate these things? Well Hebrews is saying the spiritually mature person trains themselves by constant practice. Notice those words, constant practice. It's getting yourself skilled in the word of righteousness, reading the Bible, asking God to give you wisdom. God, what do you say about these things? And then putting that into practice. The third example is someone asked me recently, should they go and strike? And, and, and her colleagues were going on strike for certain issues. And I, I mean, maybe good issues as well, like issues that I think they were being underpaid and, and, and there was some other uh, discrimination stuff happening, and all that kind of stuff. Should they go on strike? Because actually, maybe the Bible says um, that we should be good employees and, and work hard because we actually don't work for our boss or our money. We work for the Lord anyway. But then there's the issue, on the other hand, of, well, if people are not being paid enough and if, if there's injustice happening, should I go on strike? All of these things, and those are just the tip of the iceberg. There's thousands of how we make decisions in everyday life, how you negotiate these things, is an indicator of your level of maturity in Jesus. And so why is this important? Why does he give them this rebuke? Why is it important that we're uh, moving forward? Well, this is where he moves on to the warning. The warning to not fall away from Jesus. Don't fall away from Jesus. I'll just recap. I'll just read verses 4 to 8 again, this middle section. He says, For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted in the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, first thing I want to say is, because that can be quite confusing little couple of verses and uh, it can be quite a worrying couple of verses. First thing I want to say is that he says that little word For. So he's talking about spiritual maturity, and then he says four. So what he's saying is that falling away from God is the result of continued immaturity. If we're not uh, maturing in our faith, it's a sign that something is deeply wrong. if, If you're a new believer, this isn't talking about someone who's just trusted in Jesus. You need to learn the foundations and have a good grip on those things. But for all of us, the sign of maturity is that we're growing, that we desire to know Jesus more, that we desire to be in his word, to to know more about him. But what about this warning of of those who were were once, uh, you know, part of the church and have now fallen away? Is he saying it's possible to, to once be in Jesus, to once be saved and then lose your salvation? No, I don't think so. In fact, I'm convinced he's not. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. And, and when we come to difficult passages, remember what we have to do? We have to allow the Bible to interpret itself, right? We have, to, we have to allow God to tell us what he's saying. We don't just read one verse out of context. We read the whole Bible. I don't think, God, I don't think he is saying that you can lose your salvation. We see what Jesus says in John chapter 10. Verses 27 to 28, he says, My sheep hear my voice, that's us. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus and you're in Jesus, you can't be taken out of his hand. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5 he has caused us, that this is God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept for you in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I don't think you can lose your salvation. If you're really in Jesus, nothing can snatch you out of his hand. So what's the author of Hebrews saying here? Well, he's given us this stark warning. A warning of, it looks like there's people who have been in this church, people who have appeared to be, be genuine believers, who, have, uh, who look like believers, who act like believers, who pray like believers, who sing, who take communion, who have been baptized, they may even teach and lead. They even think themselves that they're saved. But, but then what happens is through never going on to maturity, and not persevere until the end, they actually show that they were never really in Jesus to begin with. Listen to some of the ways he describes them. He says, They they were once been enlightened. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. They have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. These are people who have been in the church, who have heard the good news of Jesus. They've heard the gospel. They've experienced the goodness of God through the church. They've been part of the community. Imagine someone who's, who's part of your missional community, who you've shared meals with, who you've prayed with, who you've laughed with and cried with, who, you've, uh, who you've, had let, you've let them lead you and teach you and encourage you, and you've done the same for them. And by all appearance, they're believers, but then something happens and they fall away. Is it possible to be to think that you're a Christian and not really be one? Yes, it absolutely is. And the problem is that sometimes that we think that if I do all these things, if I'm involved in my church and I, I just do X, Y, and Z, if I pray the right way, if I come to church, if I'm part of the mission communion, I take communion, I get baptized, then, then I can be a Christian. But being a Christian is not dependent on any of those things. Being a Christian is just simply believing that Jesus is Lord. And that's why he's put this warning in here. Now listen, I know this is a hugely sensitive subject because I, I, I know that we all have friends and, and, and family members who, 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 have, who have done this, who have fallen away. And I'm not making a, a judgment about whether anyone is in Jesus or is saved or, or not. That, that's not the point of this passage. It's not for us to, to decide those things, Right? And if that's what you're sitting there thinking, oh, I wonder, is this person really a Christian? about, then you're missing the point. He's saying, don't try to work out if other people are saved. Make sure you're living in a way that shows that you are saved, that you're in Jesus. Think about yourself. I'm warning you that if you continue in your immaturity, that this same thing could happen to you. Don't let that happen. And he says, listen, when people fall away and reject God, when it looks like they used to be one of us, it's like they're crucifying Jesus all over again. They're literally, the phrase he uses They're it's like they're exposing his shame all over again. They're, they're heaping shame on Jesus. You ever notice that, I don't know if you know anyone who's fallen away from the faith, and, and I do, and do you ever notice that generally they don't just fall away into complacency and be like, oh yeah, well, yeah, I'm kind of indifferent about that now. The only people that leave the faith become aggressive against it almost. You ever notice that? Ah, that? That's rubbish. I don't believe that. I can't believe you still believe that. You ever notice that? And Hebrews says they're crucifying Christ all over again. Making a mockery of it, the death of the Lord Jesus. Like he, he hasn't even died. Punishing him over again. And, 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 and when this happens, when, when, when we have been exposed to the gospel, when people have been exposed to this and and seen and tasted the goodness of Jesus and then fall away. The author of Hebrews says they're like land that has, seeds have been planted in them. They've grown crops. But instead of crops coming up, thorns and thistles have grown up. Do you ever, or when I was reading this, it made me think of the parable of the four soils. I don't know if you remember when we did the series in the parables. This was one of the parables that Jesus told. A farmer was out to sow seed and the seed falls on four different types of soil. And one of those types of soil is rocky soil, that there's no depth to it, right? And so the crop springs up really quickly, and it looks good, it looks healthy. Like, yes, this is growing. But then as soon as the sun comes out, or as soon as a storm comes along, it doesn't have deep roots, and it fades away. Actually, it falls away, as the words Jesus uses, the same words that Hebrews uses here. If we're not maturely rooted in in Jesus, when the hard time comes, when we face opposition and tribulation, we will fall away. In other words, if we're not moving forward, we're moving backwards. Are you putting down deep foundations in Jesus? It's like any plant. If it's not growing, it's dead. A healthy plant is a growing plant. And a healthy Christian is a growing Christian. And here, Because here's the stark warning, and I really need to move on. But here's the stark warning of this passage. There's only two options, and I want you to see this. I want you to be warned by this. I want you to feel the gravity of this. There's only two options. You're either, you're either growing or you're falling away. There is no standing still. There is no treading water. You're either growing or you're actually falling away. And that's why God has put this warning here. He wants us to be warned. He wants us to not fall away. And the warning is real because the danger is real. And so let me ask you this. Well, let me ask you to ask yourself, actually, what evidence is there in your life that you're growing? Are you falling more and more in love with Jesus? The more you get to know him, are you discovering more to love about him? Do you have a desire to know him more? Um this is an easier analogy to use when she's not here, but earlier when Haley was here, I, I used this analogy that I've known Haley for a long time and the more I get to know her, the more I fall in love with her. Blah, <laughs> it's true, you know, and, and that's this beautiful thing about this relationship uh, that we have with Jesus. The more we discover, the more we get to know him, the more we fall in love with him. Ask someone who's been a Christian for a long, long time. Are you allowing yourself to, to learn more about Jesus, to f- fall more in love with him? Do you desire to know him more? Because the danger is, if you're not moving forward, you're moving back. And so he's given them this rebuke. He says, Don't uh, stop being immature. And then he, he gives him this warning. The warning of continued immaturity is that you'll actually fall away from Jesus. But then he, he, he finishes it with, with this encouragement. He says, Stay earnest and be assured, stay eager and be assured. Um. When I, after I discipline my children, uh, my immediate reaction is always like, ah, oh, I just want to pick you up and hug you. I just want to, your wee sad face, I just want to give you a cuddle and let you know that I still love you and that I've disciplined you because I love you. And that's what this pastor is doing here. I think it reflects God's heart for us as well. He said, I've had to be harsh with you, but listen, this is what he says. He wants him to be assured. He said in verse nine, though we speak in this way, it's like, listen, I know I'm being harsh, but, but in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust. This morning, earlier on, early this morning, I was reading this and, and praying and, I was just hit by the grace of God in this passage. And you're like, what? The grace of God in this passage? And I'm like, yes, the grace of God in this passage. Listen, God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. God is not unjust. God sees. He sees your struggle. He sees your desire, no matter how imperfect for him. God doesn't have a hard heart. Listen, we're not set up to fail. I know it feels like you're set up to fail but you're not set up to fail. In fact, God wants us to succeed. He's not looking for ways to count you out. He desperately wants to count you in. He sees how you are growing and maturing in your faith. Even if you take one step or two steps forward and one step back, that's how I feel like my growth is a lot of the time. Two steps forward and one step back. In fact, anytime I think, oh, two steps forward, that's pride, so that's my instant one step back. God sees this imperfection and he loves your heart and he knows you're growing. Don't, don't feel like you're set up to faith. Be assured here. That earnestness you have, it's, Lord, I know I'm failing, but I really want to honor you. I really want to obey you. God doesn't want us to fall away. That's the grace. Even the fact that there's a warning here is an act of kindness to us, isn't it? And listen, the fact that any of us get to share in Jesus at all is proof of his grace. If God rejected us every time we rejected him, none of us would be his children. None of us. And so the pastor looks at this church that he's preaching to, uh, and he sees, he looks at them, and he he knows that he loves them, and he says, listen, God hasn't overlooked the fact that you love his name and the fact that you're serving the saints. Saints is just... uh, God's people, me and you, if you're a Christian, you're a saint. If you really want to know, if you want to know if you're really a Christian, do you love Jesus' name and do you serve the church? Do you love the name of Jesus and are you serving your brothers and sisters? And if you do these things genuinely, you can be assured that you are in Jesus, that you are truly saved. Because if you're not in Jesus, you wouldn't have any inclination to do those things. And what do I mean by doing those things genuinely? Well, I mean uh, loving the name of Jesus and serving the church, not because you feel obligated to do those things, not because you have something to prove, or not because you're trying to earn your way into God's good books, but because of it's who it's, it's part of who you are. No matter how imperfectly, no matter how weakly you do it. I don't mean weakly as in every seven days, I mean... <laughs> In weakness, do those things. No matter how imperfect your desire is, you have a desire for those things. And listen to what he says. He says uh, in verse 11, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope. He begs them to have an earnestness to have that assurance of hope. Do you desire to love Jesus more? Do you want to want Jesus more? Uh, I spoke to someone last year who was really struggling with their faith, and and they were saying things like, I I feel um, like it's hard to pray. It's hard to read my Bible. I feel like I'm not learning. I just want to know Jesus more, but I can't. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I said, what did you say? You said you want to know Jesus more. Like you wouldn't have that desire if the Holy Spirit wasn't working in you to know that. The most po- for my money, the most powerful prayer in the whole Bible is in Mark chapter 9. And this father whose son is sick and has this condition, awful condition from birth. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, will you heal my son? And he's like, Can you do it? And Jesus says, Can I do it? All things are possible for anyone who believes. And the guy, it says, he cries out in tears. I believe, help my unbelief. That's a mature prayer to pray. That's a mature prayer to pray. That's, That's a prayer that's evidence that you desire God, that you're growing, that you're learning. Earnestly and eagerly pursuing Jesus. And by doing those things, it says that we can have sure hope in Christ, that we know that our hope is in Christ and in nothing else. And this is why the author is saying, don't become sluggish. Don't become lazy. Pursue him with all that you have. No matter how you think, well, I, I can never learn Greek. Well, you don't have to learn Greek because guess what? Lots of smart people know Greek and they wrote the Bible in English. They put it in English for us. Earnestly pursue Jesus. Lord, I, I know I mess up. I, I know I'm weak. I know, I know I've let you down again. But I love you and, I, I, and I, I want to pursue you. Love the name of Jesus. Serve the church and share the gospel. Let me, let me just finish with some challenging questions uh, that have really, uh, over the last, past four days, really just been challenging me and I want you to be challenged in the same way. Are you better off now than you were a year ago? What do I mean by that? I mean, do you desire God more than you did a year ago? Are you leading and teaching other people and encouraging other people to follow Jesus? Do you know God better? I ask myself this question. Do I know God better now than I did a year ago? Because the danger is if we're not moving forward, we're moving back. And now let me encourage you with something that has been encouraging me the past four days. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he will not lose any of his sheep. Isn't that incredible? Not one. God is not unjust. He sees how you love him, no matter how imperfectly, imperfectly. He sees how you desire him, no matter how often you mess up. Nothing can ever snatch you out of his hand. I don't want anyone going away here doubting their salvation, but I want us all to go away warned that we need to be maturing in our faith. And I want us all to go away more than anything aware of God's grace, that He loves us, that He wants to count us as part of His family, and that nothing can ever snatch us out of His hand. So that you may not be sluggish, but that we would imitate those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises of God. So let's just earnestly pursue Jesus this week. Let me pray for us.